Thank you for joining us on the Just Chillin' Network. And if you want to follow us on social media, check us out on Twitter, on Instagram, and the social media app for horror fans, Slasher, all at Just Chillin' Net. You can also like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Just Chillin' Network. And whatever platform you listen to this podcast, Please, if you think we deserve it, give us a five-star review. It's a free way to support the channel. And if you want to help the channel out even more, for just $1 a month, you get exclusive content at our Patreon, patreon.com slash Network. And we're doing all this with Anchor. You don't know about Anchor? Well, let me explain to you what Anchor is. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. One, it's free. That's right, people. It's free. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more platforms. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimal listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You are now listening to a Patreon-exclusive podcast. Fractured Skulls, which you can find on patreon.com slash podcast. This is the entire episode, but please go back into our catalog to see and listen to the first three episodes and future episodes. Thank you. Hush, hush, hush. Here comes the bogeyman. Tell him you Got soldiers in your bed For he will never guess That they are only made of lead Episode 4 of Fractured Skulls, Terminator Tribes once again here with my good pal Monoxide. We are exclusive on the Patreon for the Chillin' Killin' Podcast, patreon.com slash Chillin' Killin' Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Chillin' Killin' P1, Instagram on Chillin' Killin' Podcast. We do these late night calls a lot. Uh, yeah, and before we even got into this call, we just... I just went into like a mini rant about the Halloween series and how much of a clusterfuck it is. Which, uh, th- that is a conversation we will dive into, uh, during our Rob Zombie month in October. So save, save your rant for that. I mean, we're talking about Rob Zombie specifically, so that rant, the rant that the audience would be getting is a different one entirely. But, uh, today we're here to talk about the 1922, uh, foreign German horror classic Nosferatu. Uh, do you have a story how you ran into this film? Um, <laughs> probably the same one that you got, but my first ever knowledge of Nosferatu. And for people of our generation, they'll probably laugh and be like, yep, that's the same one that I have. For film buffs, they're probably going to look down upon us. But uh, it would have to do with the famous SpongeBob episode, uh, Hashlinging Slasher, where... Uh, at the end of the, the episode, uh, there's like weird things going on, and apparently Squidward's like, "Wait a minute! This person that comes in asking for a job application, that was you on the phone, and you on the bus, then who was flickering the lights? And for whatever reason, Nosferatu was the one flickering the lights. 
Didn't get the joke at the time. I don't think it was. I think it was just one of those random gags they threw in there because it's SpongeBob. Nothing makes sense on that show. And I always wonder who the hell is this Nosferatu character? And I looked it up at some point and found out it was a movie from 1922. It was a vampire movie. I had watched it when I was in my late teens, early 20s, I want to say. When I first watched it, and I remember it being a very well-done film. Still think it's a pretty well-done film, but my ADD brain kind of, like, kicks in when this movie comes on. Because of how it, like, it transitions into scenes, and it kind of, like, gets me confused a little bit. Because it's, like, it doesn't seem like a real consistent line is going through the film. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, especially the, well, we'll get into it, the whole day for night. I like There's some, like, I don't know what seems supposed to be day and night. Obviously, you know, you can't film in the dark, so they'll, well, I mean, it's, go ahead. Yeah, so the, the, the other thing about this film is, obviously, it was filmed in 1921, released in 1922, so this was before the advent of sound. And so, it's really hard to promote dialogue to the viewers so most of the storytelling that they have to obtain is through body language and facial expressions and how they convey certain scenes and all that so it's really hard to really tell the story some of the lines that they do like in all silent films they'll show like they'll interrupt the the actual presentation with certain text whether it be somebody speaking or certain narration the speaking part is not actually hard to read but the narration part is written in script so you kind of have to squint your eyes a little bit to see what it's written yeah i hate that i hate that old english font that they i mean i, I that's you know how they wrote back in the day but it's so hard to read especially like i think one line one word would say like demonic but it looks like it's like two letters put together it looks like a D and an O, and I think that's just supposed to be like just one letter. So it looks like D-O-E-M-O-M-I-C. Um, yeah, I mean, it was to set the tone, and obviously the music in the background, it, they use an organ throughout the whole entire movie, which obviously was to set the tone for the vibe that they were aiming for. Um, Because the only silent films I really watched were Charlie Chaplin films, and I guess... His array of music, I mean, he uses the same orchestral instruments, but at least the music kind of sets different from each scene. Whereas this one, it just used the organ throughout the whole thing. So it was almost like you were in a cemetery for like, or not a cemetery, but like you're at a funeral for a good hour and 20 minutes, however long this film was. So it, it can get tiresome, especially since not every scene in the film is horror i mean obviously the beginning scenes where they're setting up where they're gonna go is not horror based but it just seems like the whole the whole movie had different elements of emotion but the the music only promoted one emotion entirely yeah i know what you mean like uh charlie chaplin i believe that nosferatu is like the only horror silent film i've ever seen i haven't seen any of um uh, low Cheney Senior stuff. Like, I haven't seen no fan of, of the opera. You know, like I said, only Nosferatu. And I've seen uh, Charlie Chaplin's uh, silent films as well. But with his music, his is more uh, vaude. Like a like a vaudeville comedy sound since, you know, vaude was a popular style at the time. So using the vaudeville for a horror movie wouldn't, would not work here. So I, I know the music uh, has been remastered. 
Uh, but yeah, they, it, it definitely went for that more darker darker sound. I mean, at the beginning, it had that big, heavy tone. And, and obviously, some scenes, it, they lighten it up a bit, just kind of put you in the mood. But yeah, for the most part, it had that same tone throughout the whole film. And it, I, I liked some of it. It was, it was hit and miss with me. Um, the guy who played Nosferatu, I'm about to pull the actor's name up, uh, Max Shrek. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Um, I think he did a fantastic job, at least at the their version of Dracula or uh, the vampire. It was more creepy. Like, there were certain scenes that I thought were really well done. Like, the scene where, um, uh, I believe it was Hutter. I think that's supposed to be his name in the movie. Yes. Yeah, the, he sh- he's in the same exact castle as uh, Orlock. And there's one scene where he opens the door and it's just the way that Orlock stares at him is very, very creepy. Like, there are very creepy moments in this film that I'm just like... And I, and I guess because it's a movie made in 1921, I think the, uh, the actual camera equipment that they use and the actual special effects they use actually benefited this movie's creepiness to an umph degree because there were elements that I was just like... That's pretty fucking creepy, but being that it is a movie uh, made in 1921, obviously there's going to be a lot of dated uh, film projections. Like, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Chaplin, which was a biopic of Charlie Chaplin. They, they, the way they filmed stuff back in the day, and they kind of showed you little elements of how they did things, obviously don't work in today's standards of filmmaking. Yeah, a lot, a lot of, uh, especially uh, back then, you had to get it right either the first or second take, depending how much film they had. But as you mentioned, there was a lot of creepy moments in this film. Uh, you know, to uh, add what you just said, it's seen where the door opened, and you see Count Olaf just like down the hall staring, and it's, it's just like a just like a spotlight on him. That's like the only lighting you see through in that hallway. It's just so creepy. He's just standing there. And then, and then he just slowly creeps into the room, and then you see another scene where um, Hutter is sleeping, and he show, shows like the shadows, and, and his hands are up, and it looks like he's like ready to attack him. It was just, it was just all right. very done for the time period they're in, and what you know what they had to use. It, it, it was creepy. Yeah, there was also another scene where I think um, when Nosferatu or Count Orlok, when he rises from his casket. When he when he actually like does the rise from the casket that he sleeps in, yes. was actually very well uh, done. His body movements really portrayed a very creepy, scary factor to it that I think could not be done with the way we film today and the way that uh, technology has has pushed forward because. Quite frankly, it's just not going to have that same effect because it, nowadays, even with all of the advancements, I, as I said, in with Evil Dead, less is more. And I think with less here, it actually affected pretty well the character. But another character that was really well done, in my opinion, was the character Nock, played by Alexander Granich, I think is how you pronounce his name. He was obviously playing the character that lures Hutter to sell a house across from him so that Count Warlock could go ahead and, and go on his vampire spree. The storyline to this is, is basically the same for uh, Dracula. Um, Hutter, he's he's a real estate agent. His boss, Nock, 
tells him, hey, we got a new buyer from this guy named uh, Count Olaf. Go go all the way to Transylvania, get him to sign a paperwork, and he want, and sell him this abandoned, either look like abandoned warehouse or like a, a big house, and just sell that to him. And we later found out Count Olaf's plan is basically just go from one town to another just and just feed on everyone. Because mm-hmm. he needs blood, and that's what vampires feed on to survive. Yeah, and um, they, I, I don't think there was any reference, to be fair, I'm not really up to speed with uh, vampire mythology, but if I'm correct, they never made any reference to, like, garlic or mirrors or anything like that, that apparently, like, vampires, you can't see the reflection, garlic is one of their weaknesses, um, obviously sunlight they made a reference to, but there was no mention of, uh, I, I don't know if that was in the original Bram Stoker novel. Uh, I, I the only thing I know is this movie loosely based on that. They couldn't use any of the, uh, intellectual properties for this movie. Yeah. They, the only really vampire mentions or traits that we know of is they feed on blood and they can't be outside during sunlight. He he sleeps through the day, right? And is and is awake all night, right? Oh, and not only that, Count Orlock did not turn into a bat or anything like that. So I guess theoretically, it, it, it's again because we we just stated that it's supposed to be based loosely on the Bram Stoker novel. Um, it's not exactly tit for tack uh, the actual. Dracula story because of the fact that they couldn't get the permission for the intellectual properties because you got to remember this the Bram Stoker novel is still a new thing it's not like at this point Dracula Frankenstein mummy the werewolf and all that these are now like the bare bones villains or monsters that anybody could be it's not like Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees they've now become basically villains or monsters that could be put into any sort of scenario like now everybody can put Frankenstein into their uh, franchise it seems like I- I'm assuming there's probably uh, legalities that would follow but it just seems like they're so bare bones at this point that you get what I'm saying yeah it, this was fresh um, uh, the Bram Stoker novel was, was fairly fresh at the time I'm pretty sure the novel has been at, at- adapted into uh, stage plays during the time period but this was probably the very first attempt to, for it to be an adapted on film of course before you know universal got involved and, went and did their take on it but uh but yeah i mean yeah. again this was supposed to be a dracula movie they couldn't get the rights to it so they they made some changes instead of count dracula it was count olaf olaf has basically has the same powers that dracula has everything for the most part still there even down to the story and the theme. For the, yeah. for the most part. Obviously, visually, he doesn't look the same as Dracula. He doesn't have the slick black hair. Um, he does have fangs, but it's not like they made a close-up on it. They gave him more of a deformed look with the hands and everything like that. Gave him more of a, a creeper factor. Like, like, there's something really off. I mean, I guess that's supposed to be Dracula in and of itself, but... This guy is more visually creepy than more vibe creepy. Like, he has a visual creepness and a vibe creepness to it. And I think that that works for what they were aiming for. And, and again, 
this movie's an hour and 20 minutes, which is a long time for a movie at this point. Like, it's, movies weren't that long back in the day. Yes, it's an 80-minute film. Um, Count Olaf's really not, really not on screen a lot. He first appears... This film is split into, what, five to six acts, I believe? And he appeared in Act 2. Um, so, act, and he appeared almost about a half hour into the movie. I say, like, 25 minutes. Which... I think helps because it presents uh, Count Orlock as it, it builds up to that moment to where he's finally going to strike, and he he actually does strike first on Hutter by uh, sucking blood out of his neck. Because there's one part where he wakes up and notices bite marks. There's another thing I wanted to mention was that there was one scene where they were talking about the Wolfman and. They used, from what I understand, a Tasmanian tiger, which 10 years later would become extinct. So they actually have footage of an extinct animal in their movie. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Uh, yeah, when uh, Hutter, I think yeah. he stopped just to grab something to eat, they told him, oh, no, you can't go outside, you know, because it's nighttime, you can't see. And that's when the night wolves are out. And then they showed a clip of the, uh, the, the Tasmanian yeah. tiger. Which again, that's supposed to be nighttime. Yeah, well, that just shows, which shows the low budget nature of what they were doing. Well, I I don't know, uh, what was the budget for this film? Like, how much money was spent to make it? Uh, I could try to get you a number here. Now, this was filmed in Germany. Uh, yeah, Wikipedia did not show an actual, or at least not in the sidebar. Maybe if I go to production, but. It seems like they couldn't get an actual wolf at this point. No, I don't see a, a number here. But um, this was filmed over the span of Octo uh, August to October, so a two-month period in 1921. Again, this movie was... Um, for me, it was kind of hard to follow because, like I said, there's not... Uh, it, it really moves in such a way that you really have to pay attention to the text. Which, knowing me, it's going to be hard to do. I'm, again, I've seen Charlie Chaplin films, but they never really had that much text other than speaking. They would have some text that, that would devolve into the next act, yes. But really, most of the text that would come on screen is more speaking. And it wasn't that hard to follow the story. But for me, it was hard to follow the story. But I, I got the basic gist of what they were trying to tell. And I think... There were, like you said, there were certain things they definitely executed right, but maybe because of how filmmaking was back then, it just, some of the stuff was hard to follow, for me at least. Oh yeah, the, everything they got about Count Olaf, his creepiness, the way he was presented, it just and even the way he was shot, seen, all that was done perfectly. It was, at the time, I mean, that's the best it's gonna get. And it was, it is iconic. Um, really, yeah, my only issue with the film is, that, as I said before, the day-for-night effect, it could be confusing, like, with some scenes, I mean, Olaf is outside, and you can see the sun shining right on his head, you, and you just have to figure out, wait, this is nighttime, so you just gotta assume it's the moon. It's still heralded as a, one of the classic films, I mean, a film that, I don't know if it's, because there's a, a certain group of films that are considered, like, films that are supposed to be preserved for, for life. Um, I don't know if this film is one of them, um, but I would say it is one of the early signs of what horror would become 
Because again, you're not going to see gore in a movie made in 1921, 1922. You're you're not going to see that. You're going to see allusions to it, but you're not going to see actual like blood splurting out in a movie that theoretically could not produce dialogue in audio form. So it it, it just wasn't going to happen. I can't even recall the first what 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 can be considered the first movie that really delved into blood. Godfather, maybe before that. Uh, I would say around the exploitation era was when they really went. Is when movies really went crazy because prior to that point, you could even swear in a film. I mean, the most you could probably get mm-hmm. is damn or hell. But it wasn't really to the exploitation era like those underground movies where Hollywood took notice and they're like, "Wow, you know, we really got to take our movies to the next level." Because around the time, as soon as we got sound. We were later getting color, and now you had a televisions were coming into the picture, and then you had all these TV shows, and a lot of TV shows were doing a lot of good stuff to the point the movies had to keep up with the TV shows. We got to make it better, and then the exploitation era comes in, and then we got to make movies gorier and more naked women, and then you know as time went on, you know a lot of movies were doing more risky things. In the seventies, I think was was a, great, was a great time for guys like Francis Ford Coppola, Brian De Palma, Steven Spielberg. They were all coming in and adding their own taste to the genre and it helped revolutionize movies yeah i think to certain films it was a detriment because again sometimes the over goriness of films kind of takes away from it not because it's gross or disgusting but because gore can just wear it overstay its welcome too much to the point where you're just like okay really this is all you got what's next it's kind of like um what Jim Cornette rants about in wrestling. Okay, yeah, you can like fall off a ladder onto three tables to the outside of the ring. What else do you got? At, at some point, it's like you've overstayed your welcome and you can't overtop that. So it's just like, where do you go from there? And I think that's a major problem with even horror. It's just now it's a reliance on jump scares, which this movie obviously does not have. It has more of the creepy vibe, which I think is sorely like that's the thing I got to praise about this film is that it doesn't rely on jump scares, obviously different time, different place, but it relies on just the uncomfortable nature that the viewer is going to have when uh, Count Orlock strikes pretty much. But yeah, as I mentioned with the blood, even in the Universal Monster movies, there was no gore. I mean, the most you'll see is the most blood you see is probably someone with a bloody lip. And I don't know if that time period they were even able to pull off all that gore like like they did later. Yeah, as opposed the to what technology they had. at the time, I don't know if they would have produced anything that would have made it look like fake blood, like like they did in what was that movie? Uh, Carrie, where they used pig's blood, or no, not pig's blood, um, corn syrup to make it look like pig's blood. And it ma- and it makes you wonder if they were able to pull that off, where they would they be able to get get away with that? Because with the censorships. Cause I don't, I don't know what the censorships were at the time, but I'm pretty sure you know they were they were fully aware. No one did anything crazy. Uh, again, I a different era, different time, different place. I can't really say for certain what was restricted. I, I I can just say that even if let's just say there wasn't any restrictions, just the fact that technology wise they didn't have the technology to be able to produce that stuff. Is in and of itself just 
they had to work with what they had to work with and i think for its benefit it actually helped the film rather than took away from it taken away from it would have been adding all that extra stuff oh yeah i i absolutely agree is there any any last thoughts very short film it feels longer due to the fact that there is no dialogue as far as like uh actual audio um it's I would say it's a film definitely worth checking out. It's not a film that I've seen many times because, again, my ADD brain just goes all over the place sometimes when this film comes and goes. Uh, I think it does a lot of things right. It does certain things wrong, but that's not the film's fault. It's, it's just different time, different era. It's amazing to think that this film is now... Excuse me. As of this recording, uh, two years away from being a hundred years old, we are now getting to the point where there's going to be a film with sound that is a hundred years old, and I just can't imagine like where uh, we're gonna be at that point, like like going forward, like how we're gonna be doing movies, because again, times change, and this film, I think stands the test of time as one of those films that doesn't rely on the new horror tropes where um you know we got we gotta put the audience at a point where we're going to make them feel like nothing's gonna happen and then we jump scare them and have them scream off the top of their lungs because to me that's easy i can as somebody would say i can run up behind somebody and blow an air horn at them and scare the crap out of them that doesn't take talent it takes a special talent to get me in an uncomfortable vibe and put me at, at unease and have me like frightened for whoever could be the victim of Dracula or Frankenstein or Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees, what the hell have you? This film did a lot of those things right. So if I had to give it a rating, I definitely, even though I wouldn't watch it multiple, multiple, multiple times, I still got to give it its due and give it two thumbs up because everything that I have been complaining about when it comes to horror, this film did absolutely right. Oh yeah, I have to 100% agree. Two thumbs up. Uh, it's not, it's not, it's only 80 minutes. It's not a long movie. It's free on YouTube. The movie's almost a century old. I recommend everyone to check it out. I've seen this film twice. I just saw it today as of this recording, uh, September 13th. I've seen it uh, two hours ago on YouTube. In full black and white HD version, it uh, the way they convert it to HD is excellent. Especially, you know, from, again, when this movie was first made. The first time I saw it was a year ago on Turner Classic. They had it in its original non-HD version. So there was a lot of, there was a lot more uh, different tilts or filters that they used. Uh, at least especially to try to pull off the nighttime effect. So uh, the, I, I prefer mm -hmm. the, you know, the HD version is better because, again, the picture is a lot more clear to see and you know kind of what's going on. But again, it could be a little hard to follow at times because, again, you got to go by body language, um, whatever cue cards or titles they put on screen to try to, to tell what's going on. But the story is full of 95 percent. For the most part, it's easy to follow. And with that yep. said, I give it two thumbs up. Check it out. 1921 Nosferatu available free on YouTube. With that said, I think that's going to cover episode four of Fractured Skulls. Uh, we're exclusive on uh, Chill and Killing Podcast, patreon.com slash chill and killing podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, what's going to be our next movie, Monoxide? Hmm. That's a tough one. 
I know you mentioned uh, you wanted to do Blair Witch Project. Oh, yeah. I've seen that movie God knows how many times. Well, uh, October's coming. Halloween is coming, sort of. If it's not canceled yet, probably is in some states. But next week, we're going to tackle the 1999 handheld cult horror classic, The Blair Witch Project. Until then, I am Travis the Terminator, alongside Foreman Oxide. We will see you all next time. Woo!